Welcome to Women Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. We want to help you continue to learn and grow. So after listening to today's inspiring guest, head on over to womenleadershipnation.com and sign up for our mailing list. You will receive exclusive content, updates, and new podcast episodes delivered right to your inbox. On today's show, we speak with an ambitious woman who has a unique story and is passionate about connecting with people in her community and building meaningful relationships. She's humble in her success and says she is lucky to be a part of a culture that gave her the chance to jump at opportunities that continue to help her learn and grow. She is the national COO and Toronto office market leader at RSM, an amazing tax and accounting firm. We are so happy to have Rhonda Glossler on the show with us today. Keep listening as she gives us a sneak peek into her organization's culture and what they are doing to help support women in the workplace. And now introducing your host, co-founder and president of Women Leadership Nation, Jennifer Latticer. So thanks so much for being on this podcast today. Thanks for including me, Jennifer. Absolutely. So I start this question off with everybody. Um, So when you were younger, what did you want to be? Um, I wanted to be a vet. I love animals. And I'm not even sure I was very good in science in grade school or high school, actually. But for some reason, I just had this um, affinity to animals. And I still still do. Although um, the, the bubble was burst probably when I was I don't early teens when I discovered I'm allergic to basically everything that has four legs. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to work. <laughs> so there was, there was a quick pivot and, and it's kind of, you know, it's one of those things, again, I still think about often just, um, and, and it's interesting because my oldest son has the exact same sort of the exact same aspirations and he too is allergic to everything. So um, we're, tr- we're trying to redirect them a little bit now, but, um, but yeah, so yeah. I wanted to be a vet and, uh, yet then I became an accountant. So I don't know, I guess <laughs> at the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> no, that's so, it's really interesting. I mean, we've, uh, in some of the podcast interviews that I've done recently, it's so amazing to see such a diverse interest. And then sometimes people even going back to that later in life as well. You being allergic, there's probably no chance of that, but it's, it's really interesting, right? So what... No, but on that point, just sorry, but on that point, yeah. interestingly, again, um, I grew up in a, a small community with a, with a very humble, humble beginning. Um, in fact, my brother and I were the first kids on both sides of our families to go to university. So... Um, and, and I, and I share that with some, with some context or as some context to the story, but I also wanted to play piano as a kid and my parents just didn't have the ability to, um, make that happen. And so again, it's something that I continue to think about. I'm not musical at all whatsoever. Like it's terrible. I'm not musical, but it's something that I keep thinking about. And, and I said to my husband recently, because our kids both take music, I've said to my husband recently, I'd love to, to take up piano. And uh, he said, 
what are you thinking? Like, because I'm so busy already, but uh, you don't have time for this. Do that when you retire. So to your point, maybe I'll take it up later on down the road, right? Uh, I, I think so, you should. You know, yeah, I think yeah, you should. Yeah, so absolutely. Sure. Uh, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll think about it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as there isn't a test at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just for fun. So what, yeah. so what led you to your career now then? So you, you had an interest in accounting and where did you sort of, how did you get started? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's interesting how life kind of uh, works out. Right. And, and my path was, was perhaps not as intentional as others. But um, when, when I realized that I couldn't be a vet because I'm allergic to everything, um, and, you know, you're in high school, again, I was in a very small community. So the guidance counselor, my teachers had a lot of influence. My parents, although wonderful uh, parents and very loving environment, really had no idea like what, you know, okay, well, you're going to go away to school. What are some of the options that are available to you? So your, your teachers and your guidance counselors really become that, that sort of guiding influence, right? And, um, you know, as, as a lot of accountants would say, I, I, um, I had an affinity for math, so it just was a natural progression. And I started to look into programs that, um, university programs that had a cooperative um, program attached to it because I wanted to get the experience um, as well as the technical training. And so uh, I ended up going to a university here in Ontario that had a co-op program that my for after my first eight months, I was at my first work placement. So I knew pretty quickly um, that, you know, I enjoyed what, what this world of accounting was because I ended up in a, a placement with an accounting firm. Um, so it was, it was kind of a, a, it wasn't as intentional. Like I didn't realize out of the gate, I wanted to do accounting. It was just a, a connection to math, but then, um, I chose a smaller university coming from a smaller community, uh, community and people are always, have always been very important to me. Um, so I didn't want to feel lost in a mass. Uh, so I, I chose a smaller university and for that same reason, I chose a smaller firm to go to. Um, and, and truthfully, uh, I never left that firm. It's been iterations of it, but I only ever applied for one job and I've spent my entire career there. And of course it's evolved and the organization's evolved and I've evolved, but that was kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I think that makes me unique. Uh, certainly as I talk to you, as I talk to people, um, you know, when we're interviewing or just if I'm on campus or I'm out in the marketplace, I think a lot of people have a lot of variety and, and uh, different employers, and, and I really have only ever had one, which kind of makes me unique. I, I actually don't think I've ever spoken to anybody that's only had one. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely are loyal. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it, a big oh. part of it, though, is, is that, like I said, for me, community was always yeah. really important. And so I felt um, like that choice I made in a firm, it, it, was, it was a great choice for me. It was a great fit. Yeah. Um, and it was an organization that, you know, again, there was, I think there was probably eight partners at the time and about 50 staff. But they, they gave a lot of, of, of responsibility early on. I think it, they called it the sink or swim theory. And I was very ambitious and I wanted to be successful. So I took on all the responsibility that came my way. And 
And, and truthfully, because I'm not from Toronto, which is where we're located now, and, and community meant so much to me, those people became part of my community, and, and it was a great fit. And then over time, it just evolved. Of course, that firm is now, as you know, it's part of RSM Canada with almost 750 people. So, um, But still, kind of tying it back, people have asked me, what, why, why did you stay? Like, what was it that kept you there? And it's always been the people, right? Mm -hmm. People internally, but also clients. Like I just loved service, servicing clients and the relationship side of that. Um, so it's, it, it was a good choice for me in hindsight. But as I said, it wasn't as intentional as perhaps some people have. Like truthfully, who knows when they're 18 years old, what they're going to be for the rest of their life, right? The fact that you were able to grow and evolve in that organization is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's it's sort of the organization took on various iterations, but I was super lucky early on, as I said, to be part of a culture where they gave responsibility. And and I, and then even as the organization evolved, the subsequent leadership still gave responsibility. So I was very lucky in that regard. Um, because it wasn't so much I searched it out. It was there, ready, and I, I took it. But it wasn't though I had to wrangle that, that, um, that away from anyone or had to ask for it. It was there waiting to, to be handed out, so to speak. So, Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I think when people are entering and just starting their career, um, I know certainly I, I started in a small venture capital uh, company and because it was small because it was based in Oakville versus downtown Toronto and you have more opportunities would you say in a smaller organization to like the sink or swim they give you everything and anything that you're willing to take on and I think that allows you to grow and develop perhaps faster than if you were just you know in in a larger organization to start with. Um, yeah, and, and I see it today just in how our organization has evolved. I, I don't know. I mean, certainly I, I like to think that we give lots of responsibility and development opportunities for our staff, but, you know, it's a different world. Um, and it, it is, you know, all sorts of different things impact that. But but I, I agree with you with the fact that it's a smaller organization your your responsibilities are broader. The spectrum of responsibilities are, are broader. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it again, good fortune for me as opposed to intentional. But and I and I say that not in in jest at all because I recognize that um, a lot of people don't have that same opportunity. And and I think that you know we as leaders have to be a lot more intentional about our behavior. Um, and just can't let things happen. Um, we have to. We have to be more intentional today, more so than we did, you know, 30 years ago when I started my career. So, have you seen a change in the industry as well from a woman leadership perspective? So, you know, 30 years ago, or do you feel like this industry has always been supportive towards women in growing? Uh, I, I think that you know, accounting as a profession has has been more inclusive than other industries, but I think we have a long way to go. Like I don't, you know, we've been talking about women in leadership in my industry for as long as I've been in a position to talk about it. So, and, and I, you know, I think that 
even within RSM, I think, you know, we can, we continue to grapple with it. Um, and I, again, it kind of, to me, it comes back to intentionality. And um, if we want to turn the dial and, and retain women in leadership roles, then we have to be super intentional about our behavior and how we support those women uh, through advocacy, allyship, mentorship, uh, learning and development opportunities. And um, to me, it comes back to intentionality. And um, if we want to turn the dial and, and retain women in leadership roles, then we have to be super intentional about our behavior and how we support those women uh, through advocacy, allyship, mentorship, uh, learning and development opportunities. And um, one of the first female partners in, um, in Deloitte, in, she had subsequently left Deloitte, but uh, in Toronto. And so that was in the, the late 80s, early 90s. And she, she had since left Deloitte, but was one of, was a partner at Smith-Nixon. And, you know, I, I think about that and, you know, she was, she was a partner there and there was one other woman that was a partner. Subsequently, two other people, two other women made partners. We had four of 10 owners being partner, including one, one being me, which was, I mean, remarkable statistic, really. Um, yeah, just 40% really of partnership isn't in our industry is, is traditionally not women. So, you know, again, I think I was lucky in that I, I, I started in an organization where that really didn't matter. Um, and then, again, subsequently, like we're, we actually at RSM don't have that kind of ratio. And, and again, it's, it's a goal. And we're working right. on, prog- as you know, we're working on programs um, and, and just intentionality around supporting women in leadership so we do get there. But through my career, I was just lucky to be surrounded by both men and women who um, really supported the best candidates, right? And and yeah. so happened that there was lots of opportunity. And if you were ambitious and asked for the opportunity, you were given it. And I but, recognize as I repeatedly said, that doesn't happen for everyone. So yeah. And you, like you said, I think you bring up a really good point. Like for us to be able to solve the gender gap, we need to have male allies as well, and we need to be able to support. So what are, and I know that RSM is definitely ahead of the curve in a lot of areas and doing an incredible job. Um, Maybe you can share some of the activities and things that you are doing with some of your employee groups and it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. So, so one um, that resonates obviously and is is, um, tied totally to, to um, women leadership nations objectives is, promoting women in leadership, it's, we uh, have an employee network group uh, that promotes women in leadership. And it, it is about, um, again, it's, it's, it's partly um, one supporting high performing uh, individuals, women in leadership roles, and how do we continue to progress their careers. But, but it's also, uh, I would say almost a third of the membership are men who uh, want to understand and hear the stories of our women leaders and how they can promote, support, advocate them for them. And, um, you know, so we have leadership development training programs. We have uh, actually just completed on the weekend, a series of nominations for a mentorship program that we run where women 
high-performing women are formally, I'll say formally, mentored or matched to a leader in the organization to to talk to them about their career progressions and and development opportunities. And it's a very formal program. So there's the informal mentoring part of it, but then there's also um, some formal training to help people develop the skills um, to, to, to be leaders. And, and I think as, as women, we, you're absolutely right. We need to have men who advocate or, um, are allies for women, but we also have, have to advocate for ourselves. And, and I think it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's interesting. I've heard this story and you will have too, but, or this analogy, but you know, if you've got uh, a position, a, a, an open position, a, a role, a, a promotion for individuals. If you've got a, 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 a man who is thinking about the opportunity, he might look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's great. And that's an advancement for my career. I'm not really qualified, but whatever, I'm going to try. Whereas a woman will look at that same role and she'll look at sort of the qualifications of the role and she'll assess herself to those qualifications and she may or may not almost, you know, take herself out of the running because she doesn't feel she's qualified. Like a man is all in yeah. and, you know, the woman will overanalyze it and, and, and just, and they like self-select sure out. That we, you know, that we have all of the qualifications and the experience. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we as women, we have to advocate for ourselves and really embrace those opportunities and, and take some risk too, right? But but it, it has to be done without question with the support of others um, as well. So that's that's really the the nuts and bolts of this this employee network group. It is actually um, it's an employee driven group. So these are individuals that um, drive all the different initiatives, do all the planning, and then we have leadership support come in and promote it. And, and I'm a member, um, and you know we have panel discussions all the time and. It's just really great. And we've had panel discussions where men talk about their career and, and how they've advocated for women. And it's just it's oh, it's great, great story sharing too. And I think that's the other thing that uh, we as women have to do a better job at. And and I've I this is my own self-realization. Uh, people, my husband works, I have two uh, two boys, both both teenagers now. And people will think, oh, I, I can't possibly do what Rhonda does. Like, I don't know how she keeps everything going. And, and it's, it, it isn't all me. It's, it takes a village. But what I don't do a good job of is sharing how I do it. Because if I started to share how I manage all these different, you know, balls in the air, I think that people would realize, like other women that I work with that are, are, are leaders and have great opportunities would start to realize, oh, I could do that too. So I think story sharing is really important uh, so that people appreciate it. That's, I mean, that's part of why I wanted to do the podcast and especially now with COVID, because I think that um, a lot of stories are are similar, but also there's, there's little things that we can maybe learn from one another. So with COVID, um, are you finding, um, it's, you know, how, what impact has that had on your business and also your work-life balance? (laughs) Well, on our business, uh, um, you know, I'm super grateful. Um, It has impacted our business, but um, 
you know, we are still able to work. Um, it was interesting. I was actually away with my family uh, for March break. I was one of the ones that chose to go away. <laughs> um, and then it, when our office went into remote working. So um, so within a 24-hour period, all of our SM went remote. So uh, in Toronto, the, the office that, that, I, that I lead, we have 400 people. So within 24 hours, everyone was remote. And uh, it's funny, I, was, I remember sitting on the beach and having a conference call or a WebEx, um, and we were talking about going remote. And one of my partners out in Alberta said, we can't possibly go remote. remote. It's going to be the end of our business. And within 24 hours, we were remote. And a week later, you know, that same individual had said, yeah, I can't believe it. It's working just fine. So, I mean, we were certainly blessed in that. That didn't happen accidentally. Our technology team was working weeks in advance of that to make sure that, you know, everything was tested and we had the capability and the capacity to work remote. Um, And and so, yeah, that's the I mean, obvious, most obvious impact it's had in that we're in the client service business. And typically we are face-to-face with our clients, either in their space or they're in our space. Um, But we've been able to pivot and uh, continue to service our clients. So our business, although it's slowed and some projects have been deferred, um, other parts of our business are busier. Um, You know, our credits and incentives and uh, accessing cash flow, helping clients access cash flow has been, has become busier. Uh, so, so yeah, it's been, it's been interesting from a, from a client perspective, we were laser focused on staying connected to our clients, reaching out to them. I mean, professional services, um, is a tough space, certainly the accounting industry in terms of how you differentiate your, your skill set, because, you know, all of our competitors have super smart people there as well, but where you can differentiate yourself is, is in client service. And so we were really laser focused on staying close to our clients and helping our clients. And, and I was super proud of RSM and how we, um, how we did that early on and, and the marketplace thought leadership that we were able to generate. Of course, now the, the marketplace is inundated with thought leadership on this, um, this, you know, this, this pandemic, but, and how it's impacting businesses and how we can support. But early on, I think we did lead and I was really proud of that. And, and it demonstrates to our clients that we care. And, mm-hmm. and so, again, that, that helps, obviously, long-term. In terms of our people, truthfully, um, lots of concern early on on connectivity to our people, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, probably half of our workforce lives in condos in downtown Toronto. And I think about it as the office leader. I'm just, you know, I think about the impact it has on people being you know, locked up for a number of weeks without even be able to get outside for, for the first little while right. on, on people's mental health and then their ability to, um, you know, again, still have uh, responsibilities at work. It was interesting. And, and so I created, um, I have these informal coffee chats regularly with people. So we were very intentional about connecting with people, both formally, informally, across the entire leadership team. And I created these informal coffee chats where I connect with five or six people a few times a week. And just, just to talk, well, truthfully, um, I get energy from seeing people and, and, yeah. and talking to people. I'm a natural extrovert. So it was, it was also selfish. It was, there was some yeah. selfish, uh, there was some selfish um, 
uh, purpose there as well, but just to connect with people and understand how they're doing. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, again, as the market leader in Toronto, like my big part of my responsibility is the culture of the office. And how do you sustain a culture remotely? You know, being able to, like you said, maintain that culture, maintain that closeness. Like you, you know, you RSM grew from, um, you know, lots of different offices coming together and becoming one large entity. You've become a, mm-hmm. a great culture in that, but how do you s- sustain that? And that's amazing that you've been able to, the coffee yeah, it's, and other things. Yeah. And it, again, it's with intentionality and, um, you know, again, purpose, purpose and, and being really disciplined around it because it doesn't just naturally, naturally happen. It, it does in an office where someone's yeah, walking yeah. down a hallway, right. And you can pop your head in, but um, right. It does have to be a little bit more prescribed now. But what's interesting to me is that, you know, prior to COVID, you know, we, I was on the phone all the time. I mean, RSM is a big organization and people all over. So you're always on the phone or you're in an airport or an airplane and you're, you know, traveling. And But no one ever used video. We had the capability, but no one ever used it. And then COVID and everybody immediately started using video. And that uh, whatever the platform you might use is, but but that really creates connectivity. And like, I'm, again, as I said, I'm an extrovert. I don't know that I, like, I, I wouldn't be in the same mental state I am today had I not been able to see people's faces and see how they're interacting and how, how I'm interacting with them. And you can, you can tell a lot, even through video, how someone's feeling, right? And um uh, sure just by the look on their face. So the other, the other side of it, of course, is everybody's balancing so many responsibilities today, right? And so it's, you know, you might have a single parent with kids and they're managing, of course, now we're in summer, thank goodness for summer holidays, but, you know, they were managing homeschooling and, and their responsibilities at work and maybe caregiving for elderly parents as well. And with just a lot of pressure on people and, um, it, you know, and I think that I'm, I'm lucky. My my husband is fantastic and has stepped in, has always stepped in and helped out tremendously. But that isn't always the case, and so a lot of that, a lot of the times, that additional responsibility falls to, um, you know, the, the woman in the house. And and I can't even imagine as a single parent how people are doing it. And again, I think it ties back to you know, people have to ask for help and create community to help support you. Also have to step up and recognize, because I think there's a great fear and great risk of women actually losing ground. Um, Statistically, they're saying that more women are choosing to drop out of the market. And because they have to, particularly when we had to homeschool plus work, plus everything else. And what type of advice do you have for companies um, to help ensure that they're re- retaining their women and giving them the support that they need through this, because we don't want to lose any ground. And maybe what advice do you have for women that are now finding themselves in this situation and still want to grow their career? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question. Um, and I'm not so, uh, I, I don't think so highly of myself that I would have all the answers, but I could share just sort of my, my perspective and and a point of view is I think as first starting on the employer side, I just think that employers have to be generous and have to lead with grace. Like I, I believe that 
you know, I, I, we charge our, our employee group, our team members with, you know, the, the biggest asset we have in the asset. We don't even, it's not even a tangible asset. It's a relation. It's our relationships with our clients. And I think by far the majority of people take that responsibility very seriously and they know what their responsibilities are. And so allowing people the autonomy and the flexibility to um, do what they have to do when they do, when, when it works for them, recognizing that at the end of the day, we still are a client service business. And sometimes, you know, the work still has, has to take priority. But again, I think um, be generous and, and accept that, you know, most people take that response. Most of our team members take, by and large, the far majority take that really seriously and and they're 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 not going to disappoint i've found people are more engaged remotely mm-hmm. than they would have been even in the office because people don't like they want to they they want to contribute and and they they want to ensure the success of the business so so as employers i just think it's really important for us to um be flexible allow the autonomy like uh, allow people the autonomy to make uh to, to get the work done when it works for them And um, from the employer side, or sorry, the employee side, rather, I think it's so important for people to put their hand up and ask for help. Like, I, I, like Mm -hmm. people want to help. And if you're struggling, please, 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 like put your hand up and tap someone. And and that's where an ally or an advocate or a mentor or a coach or, you know, anyone you trust, just tap them and and let them know you're needing a little bit of help. Um, because for the most part, people, people want to help, right? It's just human nature and they're, they're going to step in and, and help you out. But, but, but yeah, I think, and then, I mean, even supporting more formally as, as we have at RSM, like we've allowed, I have someone on my team that has, has taken the summer off because her right. husband has, uh, has a job that has a lot of responsibility and, uh, she has two kids who can't. Um, can't attend summer camp and it was just and, and our father's unwell I think it's important to create the environment where people feel like they can have that conversation yeah and and someone's going to listen um, right. and it doesn't always happen but as an employer um, I truthfully I'm I was delighted to honor that request because at the end of the day, she's going to come back in September and she's going to be as motivated and as engaged as ever and, and probably even more loyal, right? Oh, because we, we, so I just, yeah, and, and perhaps that's too much of a, I don't know what the right word is, but um, uh, a folksy approach. But I just think at the end of the day, we have to be now, right? We need it more than ever. And, and, you know, there's also, I think some good things that are going to come from this in terms of uh, people traveling nonstop and realizing maybe Mm -hmm. that trip isn't necessary. So it's going to be really interesting to see how COVID and what we've learned from this is going to change how business operates as well. Yeah. And, and I think I've talked about it um, with folks, but you know, there's obviously lots of downside to COVID. But there's upside. How do you celebrate that? So right. the upside for me personally, I was traveling a lot. You know, my kids were super busy doing this, doing that, and um, you know, we had lots of people helping out, of course. But um, it's forced us to all slow down and kind mm-hmm. of reimagine what's important in life. And I mean, I'm having lunch every day with my kids. 
I wasn't yeah. able to do that before. Right. And, and just that family time, like every night we go out for a walk together and it's just time that we wouldn't have made the effort to, to undertake. And so kind of celebrate those small wins. Um, like, you know, you mentioned from, from my career, this is pivotal, but our children too, right? Like this is, this is like a monumental event in their lives that they're all going to look back at and, and say, wow. And, and they'll remember it fondly in that, at mine, I hope, yeah. <laughs> that I, you know, <laughs> I spent yeah. more time with my parents than I otherwise would have, right? So, Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I definitely relate to that. I mean, I know my husband uh, is super busy and he, it was often he would have dinner by himself when he got home and to be able to have him at the dinner table again and have everybody talking and it's amazing. And and, and that goes back to sort of also turning it into a positive from a mental health perspective for kids with uh, our youngest son. We've been getting him to keep a COVID journal. And so, Oh, that's so smart. Yeah. And so whenever there's something like in the news that's major, like when everything shut down, we would print out articles and include that. And, and then he would, he has to write now, maybe he doesn't love this, but he'll appreciate it later. Um, one page every single day. And so, you know, it helps from a school perspective, academic perspective, but it also, when he has kids, to be able to read that and show, you know, even the pictures of um, his playground where they had the the police tape saying, do not cross. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's certainly in my lifetime, your lifetime, we've never seen this type of situation. No, Turning no, everything no for sure. Positive. Brilliant. I talked about it. I talked about it with my husband, Paul, and I was like, oh, we should get the kids to write, but we never committed to it. So Good for you, because there'll be little snippets in there that you'll read back on it in 10, 10, 15, 20 years and go, oh, yeah, remember, because you forget, you forget all the details. You remember the big, right? So. And also being a little like, I try at least um, naturally to be a little bit more forgiving for them, too, because they're also dealing with some mental health issues of not being able to see their friends and not being able to. So that's that's really important. So maybe yeah, we'll, we'll, I'd love to some final thoughts in terms of for women that are, you know, wanting to grow their career and are finding this is a different world. What advice do you have for them in terms of navigating? Yeah, I think I don't know that this advice is actually any different um, pre or post COVID um, because I, th- I think it applies to both situations, but for me, it's um, my my advice. I guess would be, you know, ask for ask for help. As I said, like if you're struggling, ask for help. Um, take opportunities. Like if, embrace opportunities. Advocate for yourself. Um, build a network around yourself, and and that could be peers. That could be um, other male leaders, female leaders, but. As I said, people want to gen- generally help. So, you know, I have had stories where um, a first-year associate ha- is, I don't want to say brave, but has the courage to come and, and send me a note to ask if they could talk to me about my career, right? Like, oh, that's amazing. That's, yeah, that's good. Right. And so, and just, and, and as recently as like three weeks ago, I had a call with one of our supervisors and he wanted to know what my career trajectory was and just to hear the story because he wants to be a partner. Yeah. And so, again, I think it's, 
it's like be courageous, create a network, take advantage of opportunities that present themselves. Ask for help. Always, always ask for help because people generally um, do want to help. Leverage mentors, allies, and advocates. Um, and I think you know that that that's sort of the responsibility of, of of the individual. So the women who are looking to advance their careers. But then also from an employer perspective, it's so important that we create that environment where women feel like they have the ability to have a voice and, and um, where, you know, it's an environment where they feel comfortable creating those relationships. And, and again, not all places, not all employers are, but, um, but it, but it, like to me, again, I, I think back in my career and and, and it was it was kind of a direct line, like you know, it was a bit of a like, okay, you started it as an 18 year old co-op student in first year of university, and you never left. But right. at at the end of the day, like it was direct, but it wasn't so intentional. It happened because I was surrounded by people that wanted to give responsibility, and equally, I wanted that responsibility, and I wasn't afraid to take it um, and take risks, right? So I think it's important to do that. So that would be my guidance. And, and again, make sure you ask for help because I, like, I just can't say it enough. People want to genuinely help. Like if someone called you tomorrow and said, Hey, Jennifer, I'm, I'm thinking about this opportunity. What do you think? You're going to make time to talk to them. Oh, absolutely. Like it's, absolutely. It's just unnatural. So, so it, don't, don't go it alone, right? Like yeah. it, it takes a community. So and I think people are more willing to, I mean, I know certainly in starting this podcast and me reaching out to some people that I haven't known before and them being almost more willing to, to be on and to be part of it. Because I think that this is an environment where, you know, things have changed and people want to be, they want help and support and feel useful as well. So yeah, well, thank you sure. so much. I really appreciate your time. And I hey, think I loved I, it, Jennifer. Thank you. Great. It's so fun to talk. And like I said, I'm getting energy. I get energy I from talking to new people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's great. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much. And I think that your advice too to the women, to the men, but also to other organizations, I really hope that other companies hear you because I think that RSM is doing it really well. And I think that we need that to be able to come out of the other side stronger. Thanks a lot. Thanks for that. Thank you for listening to Women Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and share the stories of inspiration and encouragement to women all around the world by forwarding it to a friend. We want to help you continue to learn and grow. Visit WLNAcademy.com for additional resources, guides, training opportunities, and sign up to keep in touch so we can let you know the exciting things that are happening next. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, keep breaking barriers.